Thank you for that introduction. Get my visuals set up. Um, it's great to be up here today. And as uh, Clay said, this is my first time, so thank you for being my guinea pigs today. I'm, uh, I've spoken in public for crowds of close to a thousand, but this is definitely different. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. In fact, I actually was uh, talking with Ken Grenfell about this. He was really encouraging me about it. And, and we were chatting. He said, take your time. You know, if you're rushing, get a drink of water. I'm sure going to do that. Plus, I'm thirsty. And, uh, and so he told me the first time he preached, he had planned to speak for about 45 minutes. And he's about 12 minutes in. He looks down at his notes. And he looks up. He looks back down at his notes. He looks up. He says, I got nothing left. <laughs> And so I said, you know, Ken, I think you turned out all right. I'm going to go for 13 minutes. And if that's any indication for the rest of my life, I'm going to be pretty happy with that. So I'm actually going to go for like maybe 30. And uh, either we'll end early or maybe there'll be some time for prayer if there's any inspiration for that. Um, actually, if we could just start with prayer. Thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you for your presence and the opportunity to gather today under your name. And Lord, I'm prepared to speak on the message you've placed in my heart, but I just yield my agenda to you. Have your way today, and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. What I wanted to share today was something that um, just profoundly changed my life. It literally changed the whole course of my life. And it's sort of been like this evolving, living principle uh, for about the last 12 years. And it's already starting, so let me keep this a little closer. And uh, sort of frame that story for you. Um, 12 years ago, in about 2005, I was living in Massachusetts. And I was a few years out of school and uh, working at the company that I do now. And... I just moved into sort of management and things were going well. I had a, a serious girlfriend for about four years and that was kind of my MO. I never really dated a lot of girls. I always just had a, a, a girlfriend and it, something that was in me at a very young age, I just wanted to be married. I just thought, you know, that looks cool. I should be a husband. I thought I would be good at it. I guess I'm not the one to be able to judge that. You can ask my wife. Uh, I think I've had some successful days, anyway. Uh, some, uh, I don't think I slept outside or anything, but, you know, might have been on the couch. Kidding. But, uh, so I wasn't married, um, and I had a serious girlfriend. I was really close with her family. Uh, I knew her sister from school, and her husband was great, and her parents are, were, just are great people, very generous and giving to me. And her father was a CFO of a public company, so he just had great business connections, was helping me out there, and sort of money, and I just thought, this is good. I'll marry her, my life is sort of planned out, it's going to work out, I'll be okay. And it was actually her parents that got me a ticket to go to this business breakfast with Rick Warren. If you know me, as he wrote A Purpose Driven Life, it was huge in the 2000s. Uh, I think at that time, the only book that had sold more copies than it was the Bible. And so, great book. That's not what I'm talking about, but you should read it. Um, just a little plug for him. And uh, 
So I go to the breakfast, maybe about 100 people, and, and he spoke. And it might have been Rick's voice, but God was speaking directly into my heart. And it was revelatory. I mean, it just, it just gripped me. And I got a copy of the message as soon as I could, and I started listening to it every day. And this is actually a tactic that I use quite frequently. When I hear a message that's sort of speaking to me, I'll listen to that thing 15, 20 times. I do a lot of audiobooks right now because so I read while I drive to, to work to Tyson's every day. And, you know, I'll listen, I'll read those three or four or five times until I, I finally got it. And so I started doing this here. And I was commuting to Boston at the time, which was a little over an hour. And the message was a little under an hour. And so I would listen to this more than twice a day. Whenever it just stopped, it would kick over and start playing again and again. And I did that for like 10 months. So I confidently can tell you that I've heard this over 500 times. And I'm not suggesting that you have to go that far. Um, and I'm not going to stand up here and do this 500 times. But I just needed to keep hearing it. God was sort of working over it. And I just sort of let it every day sort of wash over me and soak in. And I want to share a little bit about that and finally how I was able to sort of make sense for it for me and uh, sort of how um, I sort of made that evolving principle happen. So if you want to read along, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament today in Exodus. And I'm going to, for the sake of time, although I don't think I've used too many, so maybe I should read to get to the, my 13-minute mark, uh, I'm going to paraphrase sort of parts of three and for the story, just, and then we're going to read some of four and some other stuff. So in Exodus 3, Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law. He's a shepherd. This is an important point that I'll come back to in a minute. Uh, but he, you know, he's coming down the mountain. He sees the bush on fire. I love the way the scripture is like, I think that's odd. I should go take a look at it. That's my daughter, so you'll have to just excuse one, one of my four. Um, and so he sees, he goes, takes a look, and uh, the angel of the Lord appears, and God starts speaking to him, take off your shoes, I'm the God of your father, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a leader of Israel. I want you to go and tell them I've heard their cry, and no big deal, I'm gonna, you're going to help them get out of slavery in all of Egypt. And no small task, uh, fair enough, Moses has some questions. You know, he says, well, what am I even going to say? How are they going to respond? Why are they going to listen to me? And God's real patient with them. He just sort of just lays out, you're going to say this. This is how they're going to act. And then I'm going to tell them all that's how it's going to happen. And then getting into chapter 4, he still has no faith for this. And why me? Really, you should send somebody else. I can't even speak. And uh, just no faith for, for the mission at hand. And God just gets more patient with them and finally says, fine, no problem. Your brother Aaron's coming right down the mountain now. You'll use him. He speaks great. I'll tell you what to say. You'll be like God speaking to him. He'll tell the people. Everything will work out fine. And then literally lays out, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say this. This is going to happen. Pharaoh will respond this way. I mean, he literally gives him every detail, which is awesome because that's not how he usually speaks to me. <laughs> this is, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but he literally just lays it all out. And that would be nice, but okay, not, not all of us get to be Moses. And so then we come to where it gets really interesting. And so we're going to be in uh, chapter 4 at verse 2, if you can put it up. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. No judgment if you have something else. So starting in 2. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? 
And he said, a rod. You might say staff in your translation. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand again. So God asked Moses a question, what's, what's in your hand? Why does he ask him that? He's God, and he knows certainly what's in Moses' hand. Why is he asking? It's not for his benefit. He doesn't need the information. So I think when God asks you a question, it's for your benefit. So he wanted Moses to understand what was in his hand. And it was a staff. And I did bring a prop. And it's probably not an exact, exact replica, but it probably would have looked something like this. And so what he wants Moses to understand is what's in his hand and what it represents. So Moses had a staff. And this staff represented uh, three things for Moses. So this represented his identity, his influence, and his income. It represented his identity. He was a shepherd. This was a shepherd's staff. Uh, these were very precious things. These would have been handed down generation to generation. I think if you would have seen it, they would have been like, oh, that's Moses' staff. Just would have been like, that's Dwayne's car. He would have noticed that was his identity. He was a shepherd. And it represented his influence. This is how he moved sheep, right? Either you push them or you pull them, like hook or crook. This is how he would have, you know, uh, fended off wolves or thieves coming for the sheep. This was his method of influence. And the third, it represented his income. This is how he had income. He was a shepherd by trade. And so what God, what's God saying here? Because when he asks you a question, it's not for his benefit. And when he does a miracle, it's certainly not to show off. It's to illustrate something. So I think what he's saying is, Moses, I want you to take your identity, your income, and your influence, and I want you to lay it down before me. And if you do, it will become alive. And every time you try to pick it back up again, it'll die. It'll become a piece of wood. It'll become an inanimate object. Are you with me? All right. And so, okay, so Moses did lay it down. And, and not every time, but most times in Scripture after that, you won't see it referred to as Moses' staff anymore. In fact, in the same chapter, if you go to verse 20, you throw it up. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Once he laid it down... It wasn't his anymore. And it was the rod of God that he held up at the Red Sea and it parted. It was the rod of God that he struck the rock and gave water to the Israelites. My favorite part of this is in Exodus 17, and it's verse 9. And there it is, thank you. Uh, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hands. They staff there, okay. So even he doesn't refer to it as his anymore. He's laid it down so well, he only refers to it. That's, that's God. That's, that's his work doing. And God, he was used remarkably um, by God through that process. And so this was an awesome concept. I could understand it right away, and it was speaking to me, but I could not make sense of this for myself. Uh, I, this was like, what's in my hand? I don't, you know, I have a job. There's my income. Got that, okay. I don't know how to lay that down anyway, but I didn't work with my hands. 
And, I, you know, I started thinking about it. And, you know, it's football season, so I thought I would use a, a football analogy. And I'm a Tom Brady fan, but since we're in Redskins territory, we'll say if you ask Kirk Cousins what's in his hand, he's going to say football. And that's going to be his identity, his influence, his income. Or if you ask, you know, professional basketball player, clearly that answer is going to be a basketball, and it's going to be very easy. But that's not what it was for me. I, I was having a very hard time figuring that out. You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have, you know, kids. I didn't, I didn't understand what to do and how to make sense of that. And I'll spoil the end of the story quickly. You know, I, I didn't figure it all out and have some awesome Moses experience. Mine was a little more practical and happened in the natural, which is great, you know, because God has different plans for everybody. I actually never thought I would be up here, so. Um, okay, so now we're in that year where I'm listening to this every single day, multiple times a day. About seven months in, so I'm probably 299, 300 times that I've now listened to this, and now I'm straight up just asking God, what's in my hand? Please, every day, just tell me what's in my hand. And so he started saying, break up with your girlfriend. And I said, that's great. Seriously, just please tell me what's in my hand. And the only response I would get was break up with your girlfriend. And while I don't want to compare myself to Moses at the burning bush, I too had some questions. Um, you know, I literally was spending all of my sort of non-work time with her and her family. I, I moved from living with a bunch of my college friends out to where her family lived. I didn't know anyone but her family in sort of that circle. Uh, I ate dinner at her house probably five nights a week. And I just, I said, God, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. It's so my identity outside of my professional life was with her. And so I didn't get God saying, don't worry, you break up with her. I'll bring you a new girlfriend. You know, this will happen, that'll happen. I didn't get Moses' chapters 3 and 4. Um, but he did the next best thing. He sent my dad, um, who was a really godly man with a lot of wisdom, with some advice. And so I went to New Jersey for a friend's wedding. And my dad and I went bowling of all places. And it's not really important to the story, but if he were here, he would want, want you to tell me that I won. Um, <laughs> that's who he was. He was also usually humble. And so the subject of my girlfriend came up, and I said, you know, Pop, I think, I think God's telling me to break up with her. And I started telling him all the reasons why that made no sense. And I was, I think I'm close to, you know, going to marry her and all this stuff, and I don't know how to do that. And he makes it really look really easy and says, um, God doesn't always let you see the second step until you take the first. And when you take that step in faith, often the next few get accelerated. And I'll tell you, that is, I have just, uh, experienced that to be very true so many times, and it's actually called obedience. And <laughs> it sounds simple. It's a and I'm not planning to, to go deeper into this, but um, God's truths are revealed through obedience. And as Clay says almost every week, the truth what? And there you go. And that's how you get them, but I'm going too far into that. Um, okay, so made sense when my dad said I was resigned to do it. Still took me a couple of weeks to cowboy up and uh, get it done. I broke up with her as they go. It wasn't fun. And this was uh, early August of 2005. 
Within two weeks of breaking up with her, uh, my boss calls me, who's now the CEO of the company, and says, you know, for what's happening with your career, you've got to move to Virginia and start in January. I said, okay. No idea why I'm getting emotional there. We have a saying in our family that the Deneen men cry, and it's totally true, so I probably will again here in, in a moment. But um, in that four-month period before I left, I had the most amazing time with friends. Remember I told you I just moved, I didn't know anybody? Within one week, God brought me this circle of friends who were actually all working with my ex-girlfriend, and they found out that happened, they just started hanging out with me, and we were inseparable. Uh, they're lifelong friends, I was in their weddings, they were in mine, and God was just so faithful. And I was literally having the time of my life, and so it comes to like November, and I'm like, God, this feels weird. I'm having a blast. And I was never single because I always had girlfriends, but like, this is great. Why, why would you want me to move now? But he made it very clear that I should do that, and I listened. And so I moved to uh, Virginia into our headquarters in Tyson's, and that was January, and in six months, I met my wife. And six months after that, my career just took an upward trajectory. I was still young. I'm still young, but I was younger, and uh, I was doing well, but many would consider very well for my age, but the next year, my income just doubled. And by being obedient, what I, didn't, I didn't realize this right at the time, to be fair, but by being obedient to what God was asking me, which was, will you lay your identity down, it ended up affecting the other areas of influence and income. I had no idea that was going to happen. So what's in your hand? Some of you, that will be an easy question to answer. And some of you might have an experience more like mine where it took time to become clear. Some of you, it'll be your children or your marriage or your job or your friends or your family. And it's not a one-time question. What's in my hand today was absolutely not in my hand in 2005. And what's in your hand 10 years from now may not be as easy to lay down as it is today. And some of you will have to lay it down more than once. I have. I've tried to do it without God. I grew up with God in the house, and I was, you know, a believer, very young age, had parents raising me in truth, pastors, and... Um, you know, I knew it was right, but I wasn't always obedient, as my mother would definitely point out if she was here. Um, and, you know, even after, when I first got married, um, after all that God had I just experienced of that truth, after everything he'd just done for me, I was nowhere near close with him. I was more interested in how expensive my shoes were, and what kind of car I was going to get next, what kind of champagne we were going to drink that weekend. I was not interested in what God wanted to do in my life. I wasn't, even after our, our first daughter was born, we weren't going to church. I was not praying with any regularity unless something was serious, as you know how it goes. Um, and then, I suppose it's not... Uh, 
fair to say that God started speaking to me again. I think I probably started listening. And uh, really came through my wife. Um, just, I guess God used her to sort of soften my heart about it. And, you know, about a relationship with him, him and our marriage, with our kids and raising them. And I came back, I, I, remembered, I remembered the principle and it started happening again. And now it's been a few years, but it's continuing to evolve. And now I get to hear my oldest daughter, Audrey, uh, who's so happy to tell me about the amazing world that God created for us. And she says, because he loves us. There goes the crying. And honestly, I think she might know more details about the resurrection than I do. I learn every time she tells me about it. And she's even got all these like eggs that walks through it. It's like amazing. She knows more about it than I do. Um, just this week, my second daughter, Belle, who's, she's two, and she loves baby dolls as a lot of two-year-olds do. And she's playing and she says, my baby had a tummy ache, but don't worry. I know what to do. I prayed, and Jesus healed her. You know, it took some time, but my kids won't ask me to kiss a bump, as we call it, anymore. They will only ask us to pray because they've experienced that to be real. They've got that truth down cold. In fact, I would not recommend asking for healing around Belle because she will stop you in the middle of the prayer and tell you to command it. And I don't think I actually knew how important it was to me until I saw God alive and living in my children. And it's exciting at how young they are. And it's a reminder that I've got a long way to go because I don't want to pick up my staff again. You know, God... I think desires to make your identity and your influence and your income come alive. And this has gone a lot faster than I had planned. <laughs> uh, and I'm not standing here somebody that's figured it all out, laid it down and time and time again, but I've experienced it to be real. And so I ask you again, what's, what's in your hand? Maybe this is speaking to you like it was speaking to me. Maybe you don't know what your identity is or how you have influence or you want your income to come alive. If you are, I would love to pray for you. If you want to come down. So, uh, yeah, honestly, that, that's really what I wanted to sort of... I, I'm not sure I got 30. I definitely got 13. So, Ken's not here, but he can, um, he can eat that in, in Illinois. <laughs> you can tell him I said it. Um, he, <laughs> he would appreciate that. But, um, yeah, if you want to come play. Um, honestly, I encourage you, if, if that is speaking to you, and, and you do want to stand, I, I'll happily pray for a, a closing here, and I would love if you want to come down and have a personal prayer about any of those areas or encouragement about figuring out what is in your hand or about your identity or influence and income, I would, I would absolutely pray for each and every one of you and the ministry team can come and, and, and do some of that as well.
Yeah. So if you want prayer, go ahead. Please stand. Father, I thank you that you're the God of impossible. And when we're knocked down and having trouble seeing what's in front of us, you're always there to light the way. And Father, I ask for a vision for your children this morning or this afternoon vision of what's in their heart for their identity for their spheres of influence and for their income I ask that you would bring that and make it real to them today I just declare breakthrough identities that have been lost for families that have been torn apart. And Lord, where income has been a struggle, I declare breakthrough over your children. Or teach us how to lay it down so that I can be alive and work in you that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done through us. And that we would not pick it back up again and do it without you. I just speak blessing on everyone present, Lord, that your presence come and rest and remain. In Jesus' name, amen.